Good evening, everybody. It's a privilege again to be with you to continue sharing from the book of Revelation. Again, let's just pray before we look at the next chapter of Revelation, which will be Revelation chapter 13. Father, we just thank you that we can come into your presence again by means of what Jesus has done and accomplished on the cross for us. We just thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your hand on our lives. And we just thank you again, Lord, for the privilege of being able to study your word. We thank you that there is no God like you. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you are the truth, you are the way, you are the life, that there's no God like you. And I just pray your blessing on our time as we just continue to share from your word this evening. We just pray this in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? John sees here and he describes a beast rising up out of the sea. And a beast is like a vicious animal. And in the context here where he sees this beast rising up uh, out of the sea, this beast represents the person of the Antichrist and his system. And the final satanic world empire is going to be inseparable from the demon-possessed man who leads it, who is the Antichrist. And we see the Antichrist is described in Daniel. Uh, we see that again where we looked at uh, Daniel chapter 9. And uh, he's also referred to, again, where Paul writes in the uh, letter to the Thessalonians. And here John sees him rising up out of the sea. And the sea possibly represents uh, the abyss or the pit. And uh, he sees this beast coming out of the sea and having seven heads and ten horns. Uh, and on his horns, ten crowns on his heads. Uh, the seven heads may represent the successive world empires that have existed. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medo-Persia Empire. Then we had the Greek Empire, followed by Rome. And then the final seventh kingdom of the Antichrist. And the final kingdom is made up of all the kingdoms and is represented 
by the ten horns. And ten is a number that symbolizes the totality of human military and political power that is assisting uh, the beast, which is the Antichrist, as he exerts control over the world. And horns in the animal kingdom always represent power, both offensive power to attack and also defensive power for protection. And Daniel shows us when we uh, look at the book of Daniel that the Antichrist will rise from these ten kings or ten kingdoms. And John picks up on the numerical imagery that we see in Daniel chapter 2, which refers to the ten toes on the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, vision that he had. And the ten toes in that statue, the toes were made of clay, or the feet were made of clay and iron. And here John sees the beast as the final world government, the Antichrist and the Anti-God coalition, uh, headed by a revived Roman Empire, having the strengths of the world powers, yet mixed with weakness, and that will ultimately be crushed because iron and clay don't actually mix together. And the crowns also show regal dominion over the kingdoms that are referred to here. In verse 1, it also refers to there um, on his heads a blasphemous name. Throughout history, every time a monarch has or a leader has identified himself as a god, he's blasphemed the true god. And each ruler who contributes to the beast's final coalition has an identity and wears a crown and exerts dominion and power and therefore blasphemes God. And we've seen in world history, even going back to the uh, Egyptian empire, the pharaohs uh, regarded themselves as descendants of the sun god Ra. So they were looked upon as deities. And it's very interesting if we look at the judgments that came uh, on the nation of Egypt with the ten plagues. Each one of those plagues was a judgment on each one uh, of a system of gods that the um, Egyptians worshipped. Verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And the leopard here, the leopard is a metaphor for ancient Greece. And it alludes to uh, the swiftness of the Greeks, their agility, uh, the way that the uh, military moved with such swiftness in uh, conquering, particularly under Alexander the Great. Um, and the bear is a metaphor for the ancient Medo-Persian Empire, depicting the kingdom's ferocious strength and combined with its great stability. 
And we also read about these uh, images in uh, Daniel chapter 7. And the lion is a metaphor for the ancient Babylonian Empire, and it's referring to the Babylonians' fierce, all-consuming power that they extended over their domain. And it says here that the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? The deadly wound that was healed, this could possibly refer to one of the kingdoms that was destroyed and maybe uh, revived again, like we saw the destruction of the Roman Empire. And in the last days, what we're going to see is um, the rise of a revived Roman Empire. But more likely and more possibly, what this refers to here is a fake death and resurrection that is going to be enacted by the Antichrist as part of his lying deception. And the world marveled. And the people in the world are going to be astounded and fascinated when the Antichrist appears to rise from the dead. And his charisma, his brilliance, are going to be attractive to the world. And his deluding powers as well too are going to cause the world to follow him unquestionably. Remember that the Antichrist is Satan's Messiah. In the same way in which Jesus uh, ministered uh, on the earth, his ministry lasted a period of three and a half years, Satan's false Messiah is going to also be here for a period of three and a half years during the latter part of the tribulation, because it is only in the mid part of the tribulation that we have the abomination that causes desolation, where the Antichrist then reveals his true, uh, true colors and wants to be worshipped as God. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to make war against him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. That's three and a half years. And then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So God is sovereign, and he's going to establish the limits with which the Antichrist will be allowed to speak and operate. And God's going to allow him to utter these blasphemies. Uh, and really what's going to happen during that three and a half years is that it's going to uh, bring the rage of Satan to its culmination uh, on the earth. 
those three and a half years, as we've said before, is the time of Jacob's trouble, which we read about in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It's Daniel's 70th week. In the latter part, the three and a half years is known as the Great Tribulation. And as we've said before, this is launched by the abomination of desolation where the Antichrist reveals himself um, as the Antichrist and wants to be worshipped as God. And where he makes war with the saints, the Antichrist is going to be allowed to uh, massacre those who are God's children. And it says there that in verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus died to purchase our salvation. Um, and what we read about in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, Paul writing there, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God chose us in him before the foundation uh, of the world. And God's election or predestination where God chooses us does not operate apart from or it doesn't nullify our responsibility to respond and to uh, believe in Jesus Christ. Um, but God, in his foreknowledge, uh, he chose us before the foundation um, of the world. And according to God's eternal elective purpose before creation, he chose us in Christ. And that's just something amazing when we uh, look at that uh, in Scripture. And those that are truly Christ, the Antichrist can never take away salvation from God's elect. And those who are truly saved, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And what we see here is that all those whose names had not been written in the Book of Life uh, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, they worshipped uh, the Antichrist. Verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads in captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Really what this says here, it's a call for believers at that time just to accept the persecution from the Antichrist with perseverance and endurance. Um, and here God just encourages those. He says, he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. And here is the patience and the faith uh, of the saints. And that those at that time just have to accept with patience um, 
the suffering that God actually ordains for them at that time. Just remember that God is sovereign. Verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So the other beast here uh, that John sees is the false prophet who promotes the Antichrist's power and convinces the world to worship the Antichrist as God. And the beast will uh, be the most persuasive um, proponent of satanic religion because that's really what is going to happen during this uh, period. And we already see uh, a move uh, in the world uh, towards a one-world uh, religion uh, where we see that there are people in the world uh, that are promoting the coming together of all uh, religious faiths. And that we know is satanic. It is not biblical. Uh, we know that when Jesus was here, and what the Word of God reveals to us, is that the only way that we can experience salvation is through Jesus Christ and what he did for us. There is no other way to be reconciled to God other in and through what Jesus has done and accomplished for us. And this false prophet, verse 13, um, before we go on to verse uh, 13, I just want to go back to uh, where it refers in Scripture here to uh, this um, beast having uh, two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Um, like a lamb, the imagery that is represented here um, may imply that the false prophet will also uh, masquerade as a false uh, Christ. Because we know who the true lamb is, that is, Jesus Christ. But unlike the Antichrist, the false prophet will come not as a killing, destroying animal, as we saw earlier in the chapter, but he's going to appear as one who appears to be gentle and deceptively um, attractive. But yet, he speaks like a dragon, because the false prophet will be Satan's mouthpiece and his message is going to be satanic uh, because Satan is the source of all false religion. So verse 13 where he performs great signs so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Uh, the signs that he's going to use here are going to be counterfeit to the signs and miracles that Jesus performed when he was here uh, on the earth. And the strategy here of Satan 
is to use these false miracles to convince the world that the Antichrist is more powerful than God's true witnesses, including Jesus Christ. And we see here that um, he does signs in the sight of the beast, and he tells all those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived, and he granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast uh, to be killed. So this image is going to be a replication of the Antichrist that is going to be um, erected uh, possibly during the time of that, uh, what we've read about in Scripture, the abomination that causes desolation halfway through the tribulation period. And the false prophet will deceive the world by... Uh, bringing this image um, to life or causing this image to both speak um, and to give breath uh, to the image, which again is going to deceive many, 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 many people uh, when they see this. And again, this is just going to be one of the deceptive miracles that the false uh, prophet is going to uh, carry out. And Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast uh, to be killed. So here we see that the false prophet will give the image of the Antichrist the appearance of life and the image will seem to um, utter words, words which is um, contrary to what happens with idols. And this is something that the false prophet is going to use to actually deceive people by appearing to cause the uh, image of the Antichrist uh, to speak. And verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may be able to buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man, it is his number, 666. So in the Roman Empire, it was quite normal to identify uh, slaves and uh, soldiers by branding them. And even some ancient cults um, had tattoos which they identified uh, their members. And the Antichrist is going to have a similar requirement. 
it's going to be a mark that he's going to force people to take or that's going to be visible uh, either on your hand or on your forehead. And the Antichrist mark will allow people to engage in daily commerce, uh, such as the purchasing of food and other necessities. And without this mark, individuals are going to be totally cut off from the necessities of life. They're not going to be able to do or carry out any economic activity at all. And the beast will have a name inherent in a numbering system, and it's not quite clear from the text what this name and number system will be or what its significance uh, will be. But uh, the scripture does tell us that his number is 666. And the number 6 falls short of God's perfect number, which is 7. We know 7 is the number of um, perfection. And 6 represents uh, a man. It represents human uh, imperfection. And the Antichrist, who's going to be the most powerful human being that the world will ever know, is still a man. And that's why scripture identifies him here with the number six. And uh, the repetition of the number, uh, where it's mentioned three times, six, 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 uh, it could be intended here to reiterate and underscore the identity of the Antichrist when he is finally uh, revealed. And because the text doesn't reveal much uh, about the meaning of the number 666, other than we know it is the number of a man and it represents human imperfection, we can't really speculate beyond what is uh, is actually said here in uh, in scripture but what we see in the world today is that the technology is available with computer chips and uh, we even hear talk today of how a chip can be planted uh, on a person's hand and that can be used um, for identification purposes and possibly even in the future where your banking information could even be on that uh, chip and you could uh, trade and uh, sell with all the information that is obtained on this, on this chip. But even though there's a lot of talk about these things today, um, what we see in the world today, we are just on the verge of... Uh, the uh, tribulation and it is only the antichrist who is then going to force people to take this mark on their hands on their foreheads and this is going to happen during that time period during the time of the great uh, tribulation and that's where we're going to uh, conclude our study tonight we've come to the end of chapter 13 Next week we will go in and we will have a look at uh, chapter 14. And let's just close with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you again for the privilege, the opportunity, the blessing it is to be able to study your word. 
And even though we are looking at things here which uh, you have revealed in your word that are going to take place in the future, uh, that some of these things we know from what we read here in Revelation are not pleasant, but we just thank you again that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ which you gave to show his servants that must shortly take place. And we just thank you that um, you have said in your word that blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So we just thank you again, Lord, for the privilege of studying your word. And I just thank you for your hand upon each and every single one of us. And I thank you, Father, again for your amazing salvation and what Jesus has done for us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.